Ladies and gentlemen, we have a treat for you today. Mari Andrew is here. Mari is a New York Times bestselling author and artist. She's based out of New York City. And her career started as a hobby back in 2015 when she held herself accountable to post a doodle a day on Instagram. Fast forward a few years later, and Mari has amassed more than a million followers on Instagram because of her beautiful and scarily relatable drawings. Her first book is called Am I There Yet? And it took a dive into the journey of adulthood. It debuted back in 2018. It was a New York Times bestseller. And now she's got a new book coming out. It's called My Inner Sky on Embracing Day, Night, and All the Times in Between. It just went on sale on March 2nd, and it's the next addition to her portfolio. I am excited to talk to her about her art her life, and how all of the things that have been happening in it have influenced her creativity and the way that she's approaching all she does. Please welcome Mari Andrew to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. I have just attempted to give a little overview of who you are, but I'd always like to ask our guests to fill in any of the blanks, give us a little bit of an opportunity to, for anyone who's not familiar with your work or how you ended up where you are, um, give us anything we missed. What 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 do we need to know about you, Mari? You gave such a beautiful intro. There's, there's not a whole lot uh, else to say bio-wise, but I can tell you what I'm trying to do on social media is bring a bit more nuance and non-duality to the space, which is pretty dualistic and black and white. And what I'm trying to do in my books is to pay attention and seek beauty and then write about it. Oh, man. All right, let's for one second, because those are words that I love, but don't even know that I totally understand. Non-duality. What is the black and white that you see happening on the internet? And how are you trying to fill in the colors that live in between? Ooh, I like the way you phrased that. Uh, I mean, I see non-duality and this, this very binary thinking all over the place. But the way that I, that it strikes me the most is this kind of emotional binary of um, these very quick reactions to things. So for example, if I'm posting that I am feeling sad about X, I can get a million comments that say, well, why aren't you sad about Y? Or why are you sad about that? You should be angry or you should be grateful. <laughs> and this belief uh, that we can only feel one feeling at a time and also that there is a right or wrong way to feel is so harmful and pushes us into this duality where there's only really a right and wrong way to feel about something and to express our emotion about it. And I think that leads to a lot of shame. I think that's the thing that duality does is it, it, it covers up us with shame 
kind of no matter what we do, there's there's really no way, way to get it right. We will always get it wrong because we are three-dimensional people. So that's what I'm seeing a lot of lately. And I'm trying to bring a little more gray to the space. Oh, man, I love it. I mean, I've been going through so much in the last year, like everyone has, and honoring the idea of both and. Yes. You know, it's like, uh, I, I think I, I held myself uh, in a way that made me also feel a little bit of shame or guilt about feeling a certain way and also not thinking I had permission to feel the other side of whatever that feeling was because of whatever I was going through. And the idea that you can both experience grief and hope, that you can both be sad and learn from something that you are processing inside of that sadness has been um, amazing in the permission that it's given to have those feelings of both, but that also not having to feel bad about how you feel because of the worry of how you're supposed to feel is a gift. There's some freedom in that. Exactly. Exactly. And the more that you welcome all of those emotions that you're feeling, they're, they're all equally welcome and equally attended to, the more you're going to, um, you know, have compassion for others. It just, it, it, you can see people in a fuller way and make a lot less assumptions. And if I could do away with anything in the world, I think it would be <laughs> assumptions. I think that's really splintering us right now and really harming us. So yeah, embracing all of it. It's hard. It's hard. We certainly get a lot of messages to not do that. And putting out quick reactions on social media is not super conducive <laughs> to welcoming the full, the full three-dimensional experience of an emotional human life. But it's a practice and I'm glad a lot more people are talking about it. Yeah, it is, if nothing else, a reflection of actual humanity instead of some curated version of what we think we're supposed to be online. Right. You are obviously someone who has a massive passion for illustration. I do not share any competency whatsoever when it comes to art. So I'm always fascinated by anyone who gets to tap into and use the gift that they have when it comes to creating. Will you tell us uh, a little bit about the passion you have for illustration and how it all started for you? I would love to. Yeah. Illustration for me, much like writing, but in a, in a slightly different way, is a bridge. I am someone who did not feel like I belonged in the world for a lot of my life. Um, found it very hard to communicate with other people. Like, kind of didn't feel like I really spoke the language of the mainstream or the people I was meeting in my, you know, big public high school, which was terrifying for me and really hard for such a sensitive little soul. And I would often draw as a way to connect myself to the world. Um, I think a lot of people use creativity to feel a little more belonging. This is, you know, a way we can we can process our, our big emotions and say, I am here and my feelings matter. My observations matter. Um, so it's always a little observational uh, illustrator, but it wasn't until my late twenties when I found myself in a sort of rock bottom place and felt like, what else do I have to lose? That I started really doing it in earnest. And I think like a lot of people, I thought I had to be an artist in order to make art. <laughs> like I thought that there was like a card that I had to get in the mail, official artist card, before I was 
like allowed to pick up a brush and pencil. And during that time, which was such a period of grief and loss, I just felt like, well, what else do I have to lose? I'm just going to do this. So I started this project of of drawing every day. And a lot of it was observational straight from my life. I kind of fell in love with this really personal storytelling. And that's also what, what writing does for me is bridge uh, how, how all this feels to, to the outside world. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I love it. I'm in real time. Uh, my edits for my next book are due a week from Monday. I have found writing to be this unbelievably cathartic experience in that um, whether it's for a book that I'm turning in or just journaling that has now become an, a really regular part of my life, putting those words on paper, I'm going to assume somewhat in a similar way to doodling or drawing on an every single day for your illustrations is something that just lets some of what may be sitting under the surface. For me, there's a lot of times where unconscious thoughts find their way onto paper only because of the act of actively writing, that if not for having put myself intentionally in that position, they may not have ever seen the light of day. And now that they have, I get to understand what they're there for and make a relationship with them. Find a, a little bit more clarity on what they mean and how to process and work through them. So, uh, man, I love, though, the idea that you need not have a card that says you're an artist to do art in the same way for anyone who's ever uh, wondered if you need to get uh, an official doctorate in writing to actually start writing. You do not. Like, there's something just beautiful in picking up the pen and uh, putting it down. You mentioned a low part in your life. For those that don't know your story, can you tell us a little bit about the time of your life where you experienced the temporary paralysis, what the reality of the situation meant for you as an artist, and how it activated some of what ended up coming in your work? Sure. Well, I think my my very short creative career, it's about six years now, has has uh, gone through these two pretty significantly tough times. And the first was losing my dad at the same time as a breakup and the same time as a lot of career uh, <laughs> disappointments where I felt like my, my life had just crashed down. The life that I was slowly trying to build for myself as a 20 something where I felt really uncertain, didn't know what I was doing. And these little things that I was kind of clinging onto for external validation, like a relationship and what I thought my job was going to be, those ended and I had to kind of build myself up. And that's where I found writing and, and drawing to be this beautifully beautiful journey. I mean, like you're saying, I, I wouldn't know how I felt until I started writing or drawing. And that's that's the gift of creativity. It brings us to new places. And then I started doing that, got a book deal, got all these followers, things were going really well. And then I chose to, to write my book in Spain, where I was temporarily partially paralyzed by an autoimmune disease that struck very randomly and suddenly. And that was like this second rock bottom where I thought, wait a second, I just 
did this. I just had a rock bottom. I just learned how to pull myself out of that. And from there, you know, I, I learned how to, how to be a creative person and teach myself how to be an artist. And then suddenly I couldn't even, I literally couldn't draw because my hands didn't work. So that was a huge identity shift. And since then I've been trying to figure out, well, what, what am I now? Even though, you know, I, I got my, my hand strength back, but what is my identity as someone who, who wasn't able to do that for a while? Yeah, it's really interesting because I've gone through something hard, having produced something great. And, and the idea that I am interested in perpetually becoming a better version of myself has been a constant. But what I didn't appreciate was that the means through which or the journey through which I might become that better version was something that was not actually under my control. And so hmm. even in the midst of having to experience something that certainly you would not have wished for, right. I'm going to guess that there was some beauty on the other side of having survived and thrived through it that you can attach gratitude for because of what it ends up doing and catalyzing different questions that you're asking or different uh, inspiration for the work that you're now doing. It's crazy, isn't it, that like we've come through this year that nobody could have expected. And hopefully there are plenty of things that you can see collectively as a community that have produced something great, even though it's come through something hard. Yeah, yeah, that's such an interesting thing to explore because I don't ever want to glamorize really tough times or pain as something that necessarily will make you more creative or stronger. When I was in the hospital and at such a low point, I heard so often, you're so strong. You're going to be so wise out of this. You're going to make all this amazing art afterwards. And I was like, all I want to do is be drinking sangria in the sunshine. Like, I don't want to go through this. I didn't ask for this. But I think what the opportunity is, is to pay as much attention to the painful and, and maybe even more so the, like the kind of boring parts of life as you do the joyful ones. So give as much attention to these really difficult things that we're going through as much as the really beautiful things that are a lot easier to post on Instagram about <laughs> that are a lot more, um, you know, externally validating. And if you pay attention to all parts of your life, you're going to find some beauty in those really tough times because beauty is, is all over the place. That doesn't mean it's, it's uh, good or happy or even educational. It just means there is something to be found there, whether it's, you know, increased empathy or creativity or anything to help you connect better to other people. Yeah, even just the recognition that you have hands that work in a way that you did not maybe previously have a gratitude for working hands. I, in real time, I have a friend whose daughter unexpectedly found herself in the ICU, freak accident, and man, it's scary, she's getting better, but it forced a pause for the unpredictability of life introducing something and man, did I hug each of these four kids in a way that I hadn't the day before, because sometimes it's just being confronted with something that you don't have to think about to actually think about something that you should be thinking about more regularly. And that, again, doesn't mean that it's easy or something that you necessarily want to even be confronted with, but there can be beauty that comes in it and beauty, to your point, that always exists. 
I'm curious because you've, in the work that you've done and the consistency of the work that you were doing affecting people, seen the response grow at a pretty incredible clip. And I'm curious as a creator, if hitting certain thresholds of people now watching or following or liking or hitting a follower count, did it have any impact in how you felt comfortable or some pressure to create in a certain way or please the audience in a, in a way that maybe you hadn't had to think about, or are you just free from that? And if they like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. You know, I would always say that I believe, fully believe the, the last thing you said that I, you know, I'll always say, I don't think about it. It doesn't matter to me. I have someone else doing my Instagram for me. I don't even see the likes. Doesn't matter. But of course, I mean, I I feel very connected to the people who are who are reading my words. And when that connection increases, whether it's that they've been following me now for five years and we've kind of grown up together or the audience has expanded, it certainly makes me think a bit more about what I'm putting out there and what exactly I want to say to this amount of people. I am increasingly thoughtful about what I put out there. I think I used to be a little more reckless, which was great and fun and and really got me kind of in this, it developed this creative muscle for sure. But now I'm pretty intentional about it. And I think I kind of, I do all these little woo-woo practices to kind of get in touch with what are people wanting to hear today or, you know, how can I, um, how can I go against the grain of what they might be seeing all over their social media feed? What can I bring that's maybe a little different of a perspective? So I'm a little more aware of that, but it's hard to, to grow and evolve as a creative person when people, you know, initially came to my work for one reason and that doesn't exist anymore. Like a, a lot of the way that I used to express myself doesn't fit. And when I have to make a decision about, you know, authenticity versus kind of pleasing um, the status quo, that those are some difficult uh, turning points where I have to say, not everyone's going to like this. And I'm going to, you know, a lot of people are going to say bye and move right along and find someone else, which is beautiful. But it's, you know, the ego doesn't love to release that. Well, I do know that a lot of your work addresses some really important, relevant cultural themes, feminism, inclusivity. I'm going to guess that some of that more intentional work that you're doing was a decision to have your art and your influence manifest in something of activism and, and being an advocate on behalf of the things that you happen to be passionate for. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm tremendously fortunate to have the the eyes and ears that I do um, from other people. And I think a lot about the, the privilege uh, and responsibility of someone with any kind of platform. And I don't think it's always as simple as people think it is. I, I think the way I like to see it is what additional thing can I bring to a conversation that has been started a long time ago. And is there any other corner that I can kind of dig into as opposed to just kind of adding to uh, the noise because there is so there's so much content these days and there's a bit more pressure when I'm when I'm joining a conversation that's already happening to put you know my own 
take on it and, and not just add more. Cause that gets a little overwhelming for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've had plenty of conversations on what you might define as purpose as I'm finishing up this book mm-hmm. and trying myself to really zero in on how do I unlock my purpose on this yeah. planet? How do I honor the intention of my creator? And I've really come to understand that it's this coming together of passion, your passion and your ability to impact people when you can fuse passion and impact, that's where purpose comes. And Mm. I can say from having been a fan of and consumed your work, I can see your passion come through in the way that you are serving the audience. So that's uh, very kind. If it ends up having a few people decide at times that this isn't what I signed up for, (laughs) who cares about this? Thanks, Dave. That's very kind. Of course. I I saw recently that Amazon Studios announced that your first book is going to be made into a series. What in the world? So I am there yet. It's going to be a series. Have you had a path in mind for your career that this might be a thing that would come from your work? Or is this just, holy cow, I can't believe this is happening. Let's ride this train to see where it goes. This is definitely the weirdest part of my life. And whenever I'm asked about it, I always want to say, you know, as much as I do, I, (laughs) there's so little I know about this industry. It's like totally foreign to me. But the fun thing is that I don't have a whole lot of involvement. So it's just beautiful. It's beautiful to sit in these meetings And this is a type of creativity I don't know a single thing about. And it's so fun to see the way that people interpret my work and my life. And they're adding their own spin on it, which is my favorite part to watch. I want it to be as personal for them as it is for me. And we'll see what happens. It's like a total cherry on the weirdest Sunday, <laughs> but it's great. It's great. I feel very. Have they cast anything yet? Are there no, details yet? No, or is I'm, it I'm dying. I've, it's it's been in the works for like three years, but these things happen so slowly. So, yeah, any day now, <laughs> any day now, there'll be more fun details to share. So obviously this book that's now being adapted, it had a lot of success. What was the process for you, or how did you approach? getting back into drawing and working on this new book? Were were there things that you had to do that were different? Were there things that because of having had some learnings in the way that the first book was received that you might have applied to this one? Or was it just, I'm going to let my creativity lead me on this journey? We'll see where it goes. Mm, That's a great question. Sometimes I think about how songwriters will release their first album, which is kind of an introduction to their sound, right? It's like, here's what I do. (laughs) And then the following albums are going a little deeper into various things that they can do. I I feel actually a lot kind of creative camaraderie with with songwriters than with book writers. I I feel like what I'm producing is almost albums of, of these different their essays, but they kind of feel like songs from different times of my life and things that I'm thinking about. And so I feel like, am I there yet? Was I had a lot of illustrations. It was really quick and easy to get through. It, it was pretty commercial, good, you know, gift book and that kind of thing, which, you know, I'm really proud of. I love that kind of book, but that was sort of a, an intro. And then with my inner sky, I felt like I really got to go a lot deeper into themes that might not have fit the first one. 
the freedom to be able to just sit down and just write as much as I wanted, not trying to keep anything short or necessarily palatable, but just letting myself go and explore was such a treat. It didn't even feel like effort at all. It was like, okay, now I'm released to get to do the thing that I've been wanting to do for so long. And it was really, it was really lovely. And it makes me excited about what other directions I can go in, you know, in, in upcoming years. The idea, the, the subheader, the, the subtitle of the book alludes to twilight, golden hour, night, and dawn. Mm-hmm. For someone who's not familiar, or even just like for the person that you'd hope to pick up the book, can you just talk a little bit about these different day parts and what your hope in having somewhat of a difference in how these essays come together might have someone feeling a little bit of Um, themselves show up in some of your stories or connect a little bit to the way that you're capturing your own life in a way that maybe gives them a little feeling of being seen in their own. Yeah, of course. I decided to section the book that way because I started writing a few years ago when this isn't so much the case anymore, but in the zeitgeist was positive thinking. And I was hearing a lot of that at a time when I was recovering from illness. I was in an in-between time. So I wasn't sick, but I wasn't really healthy yet. I wasn't quote back to normal by any means. And I was wondering how long that was going to take. I didn't really know. And I remember having this revelation one day that this, this idea of think positive, be happy, choose happiness, your vibe affects your tribe or whatever. (laughs) All of those little quips that we see on Instagram in pretty handwriting. I felt like that was the message felt like someone saying the afternoon is the only time of day that matters. And don't worry about the rest. It doesn't, it, there's no meaning in it. Only focus on a sunny afternoon. That's all we care about. And I was thinking, well, what would happen if we got rid of night? What would happen if we got rid of these in-between times, dawn and twilight? So I started feeling like I'm in this twilight right now and everyone wants me to force the next day to get to this afternoon. And isn't there beauty here? Isn't there meaning in this in-between time? Why are we, we know that we want to embrace a full day. So why don't we embrace a full life? So I sectioned, notice that I did not write about afternoon, um, but I wrote about these times of day that are a little funny to us. Like golden hour is so beautiful, but it's fleeting. It's very short. And, and in, in that chapter, our essay is about being really present to what's going on, to seeing kind of magic in the, the ordinary and the everyday. Twilight is about those in-between times where we don't really know what's coming next and we have to sit in that uncertainty. Night is about really deepening into the wisdom that can come in these, these times when all the lights are off. Um, and then dawn is about renewal, but the complications of renewal. It's not always a dance party waiting for you in the morning. Sometimes it's a little hard to emerge into a new era as as we're all collectively seeing now. So I wanted to honor all these different feelings that are not positive and happy and inspirational, but a little more smudgy, (laughs) a little more complex. I love it. The, the, the Don piece in particular, there's a, a line that you put on your website, uh, in part because the book is dealing with heartbreak and mm-hmm. healing, where you talked about devastating loss, creating a new self. Mm-hmm. And I just have just man, I'm connected to it. I feel it. It's also 
uneasy and complicated with layers and layers of feelings. But can you speak just a little bit to this idea of new self or what happens in this dawn for anyone who's processing coming out of something that has forced them or created opportunity for them, whichever whichever they're coming mm-hmm. through to step into new self, because it can be disorienting. Yeah, that's the perfect word for it. Kind of like when you're in a in a dark like movie theater and you come out and your eyes hurt and it's like, what is this? Yeah, I was I was writing that when I was recovering from this illness and I was learning a lot about PTSD because I felt like I had really uh, similar symptoms and something that I learned about the brain after PTSD is that it's actually a new brain. Like your, your pathways change. I, I, I am not a scientist, but your brain actually changes shape. It associates different memories with certain things. And there's all these triggers and you kind of feel like a new person because you are a new person. Your brain has actually become different. We think for a lot of people who have gone through a traumatic situation, oh, they'll they'll go back to normal one day, but they won't because they're a new person. They're going to become new. So even if it's not a traumatic experience, but something pretty life altering, I mean, I think even getting married or, you know, these things that we think of as, as purely happy, can be a little, they can bring up a lot for us. And when you have to step into a new life role, that's hard. And we think about, you know, the morning breaking and the, and there's all this new light and possibility and that's beautiful, but it can also be a little anxiety inducing. Um, there might be a sense of dread even. And I don't think we, we talk about that because we like to see hope as purely wonderful. And hope is, is so powerful and beautiful, but there's a lot of complex feelings that come up. So when you're when you are stepping into that renewed life and that renewed space, that renewed way of being, you don't know yourself yet. So you have to figure that out and that takes some time, that takes effort. Any any new self comes with, you know, hopeful, positive, you know, excited, whatever the positive words might be for what is possible next and having to grieve what was, having to yes. release and surrender yes. that you're never going back to the person that you were before having gone through this experience. And uh, there's such a human thing in wanting to only focus on the one, but not the other. And yet it's inhuman yeah. to not hold space for both. I mean, it's just, it's, it's it, to me, it's crazy. And if anything, uh, I think having conversations like this, people getting a chance to read your book, spending time normalizing the very human response of both it being jarring and there being something of grief involved and in having to let go and the way that it can be exhilarating or something that creates and produces hope is um, is normal. It's just a totally yes. normal thing. Yes, absolutely. I recently learned that humans are capable of 34,000 emotions. And it would make sense that they would overlap sometimes. That seems... I feel them. uh, I'm feeling at least (laughs) 32,000 at any given minute in the last year. So this works out perfectly. Thank you for affirming me. (laughs) For anyone uh, that you would hope to have grab my inner sky, uh, what would you tell them? What, like, what, what, what is, what's the, the, the elevator pitch as it were, as to why of all the books they could pick up, this is the book that they ought to grab 
and why it would uh, connect with them in whatever season they find themselves in. Well, there are a lot of good books out there, and I don't think this one is any better than any others, but I will say that I put my whole soul into it. I wrote it for people who are lonely, and I hope that reading it validates some experiences and gives them some reasons to believe they are not alone. Ah, solidarity in the (laughs) collective experience, being alone. I mean, truly, just even... Again, making it feel okay to know that you are not alone and feeling alone exactly. maybe makes you feel a little less alone. That's a lot of alone in one sentence. But uh, all right. Mari, it's been uh, fun hanging out with you today. I appreciate you and your work. I'm excited for all of our listeners to find out even more about the goodness that you're bringing into this world. If someone does not yet follow you or does not know where to find out more about you, where can we direct people? To you, where do you live on social? Do you have a website? Where? What, what can we put in the show notes beyond whatever you tell people today? Sure. I am doing my almost daily scrapbook at Instagram at by Mari Andrew. Uh, I can find out a lot more there. And my site is bymariandrew.com where you can check out my books. Every single person who is listening to this today, I hope that you will go and look into Mari and her work. It is powerful, touching, deep stuff that will, I promise, make you feel. And uh, if nothing else, those feelings, as you can make a relationship with them, will help you on whatever journey you are on in real time. All right, Mari, we finish every episode by asking our guests the same question. If you could give our listeners one single takeaway, it could be an idea, a question they should ask themselves, an actionable piece of advice, What is the one thing you would leave with our listeners here today? Pay attention. Pay attention to it all. It's all there for a reason. All those feelings that are tugging at you are trying to get your attention for some reason or another. They are great data for what is important to you. Pay attention to it all. Oh, so good. All right. Mari Andrew, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you. Listener, If you got something from this episode, and how could you not have, take a picture immediately of the device you were listening to it on, tag Mari by Mari Andrew on Instagram, tag myself, tell every single human being that you have ever known that they need to listen to this episode. And between now and next week, per the words of Mari Andrew, pay attention. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.